from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Perspective is a radio program presenting biographical interviews of people who have chosen the Baha'i faith as a way of life. Today, I'm playing a telephone interview with Marilyn Robicek. Marilyn grew up with a grand piano in her home, but her mother never thought to offer piano lessons to her. When Marilyn was nine, she asked her mom for piano lessons. She ultimately became an accomplished pianist, playing her first public concert when she was ten and played with an orchestra when she was 12. She has played for Arthur Fiedler and has been compared to Rachmaninoff by one critic. She's now 87 years old. I started the interview by asking Marilyn where she grew up and what was it like growing up there. Well, I'll tell you, I was, I was born in uh, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And then we gradually came westward through Texas and Arizona and Sacramento, California, by the time I was two, we had re- arrived here. And this has been my home all my life, except for a couple, a few years back east. It was really wonderful. You see, my birthday is on um, July the 28th, 1925. So I just turned 87. And times are, I've had the privilege of witnessing these tremendous changes in the face. I've had a chance to know what it's like way before and after. I mean, it's just phenomenal what's happening. So I was, it was a very simple life. We lived, actually, we had a chicken ranch out in the country. So it was very simple, just a lot of running around in, with nature. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I should say that my mother was a very wonderful mother. She had, was a very talented lady. And even though we lived in a little old house, we had a grand piano for some reason or other. She always had a piano ever available. And I used to love to listen to her play. And she never approached me about taking lessons. It's just that it was just sort of a normal part of my life. And then I was, just before I was nine, I approached her and I said, Mama, I, I want to take care, I want to play the piano. And so we had a neighbor who was taking lessons from a lady. Um, and so she said, well, run over and see the, get the name of that lady, which I did. And we contacted her and I started. Now, this is interesting about this lady that I was teaching. She was a very fine pianist from Los Angeles. She and her husband were traveling through there when they were really hit by the, uh, the Depression. They lost everything, literally. They literally lived in a tent. But she was a fine musician, as I say, and she built up her class very nicely. We had an old tank house. I don't know if you know what that is on our property. It was like a, a tall tower, like a green tower, but not very, not very big, fairly tall. But anyway, that she had it torn down and gave that lumber to those people, and they built their little house with that, that lumber. Yes. Well, anyhow, this woman was a fine artist, and it's so strange that I should meet somebody of that cabal, uh, caliber out way out there in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> That's kind of what led us mm-hmm. to everything here, you know? Yeah. So what was religious life like growing up? Uh, religious life, well, my mother was from um, Catholic and... Lutheran background, and my father died at a very at a very early age in my life, in 1932. 
So she was a widow, a very strong lady, uh, who thought, you know, she wanted us to have religious education. So we started looking around, searching grain from various, to the various Christian denominations. Back when my brother was seven, that was in the 30s, we had a smallpox vaccination occur in our uh, elementary school. And we were advised to be vaccinated, of course. We were taken immediately, and that was done. Well, my brother reacted very, very violent to it, violently. He became very, very high, bad infection in his body. And they said that he was going to die. Well, my mother, at the time, was the widow, and she worked two jobs, so she was busy day and night, actually, taking care of us. So she didn't know the neighbors where we lived. And this lady came, a lady, a neighbor lady came to talk to her about my brother's problem. And she said, have you ever heard of a certain uh, uh, chiropractor who used alternative ways of healing? So she told my mother, and my mother was very open-minded. So she said, she got in touch with this man. He said, well, get him out of the hospital. You've got to do that. They have to stop. Just do. So she did. And, you know, put him on this wonderful diet. And in five weeks' time, the infection was gone. The medical doctor was kept on the case. He checked the the, uh, blood and the, uh, you know, the infection and so forth. And it was, he was absolutely without infection. He had to be built up. Okay. Now, this gentleman who did the, the work, the doctor, gave lectures. And my mother acted as a receptionist for him. And in the audience, there was a lady by the name of Enola Leonard, who was the sister-in-law of Valera Allen and John Allen, who are the parents of Dwight Allen. When we were in Sacramento and we decided to move here, there was a gentleman who came to the door, a Fuller Bushman, and um, he told us about this location in San Mateo. We didn't know the Bay Area in San Francisco uh, very well. And so we came down here, and my folks bought the house at this, in this new development. And in, so we moved in in about 1940. One day, a gentleman came to the door, knocked on the door, and said, I have a message for you. And I remember... I think people were different. People were not afraid to let them in your house. You know what I mean? It's not quite like it is today. So I invited him, and he's in, and he told us about the faith. Now, in the meantime, we mother had been shopping around for a another uh, some uh, some kind of faith because it um, would teach morals and ethics. And as I say, we were looking around, searching. And when this gentleman started telling us about the faith, we said, "This is a miracle." It is absolutely wonderful. Well, Marilyn, what was it about him telling your mother about the Baha'i faith that attracted her so much about it? Oh, she and I, I was 15 at the time, and so she and I were very close. We both heard the message, and we said, because it it opened uh, up, included all the great faiths of the world. It brought this unity. Uh, You know, not rather than backing up to one another church of old, it brought it all into one circle, and that made, was very scientific to us as well as as well as spiritual. So we uh, attended firesides, which were meetings that were held in homes or places, you know, to hear what this is about, mm-hmm. and declared ourselves. Where there were only two other Baha'is, three, but there were three Baha'is in San Mateo. So you were fifteen at the time. Fifteen. Yeah. Uh, yes. I did mention them, I didn't there, that, uh, yes, about J- Valerie and John Allen being the relatives of, or, of Dwight, 
and that it was Dave who actually sent this gentleman to us. <laughs> Those sly devils. <laughs> and, of course, their sister-in-law uh, was in Sacramento and mm-hmm. sent the, them to us. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a, it's just a miracle, really. And my mother had a wonderful dream she told me about one time. She said she was standing on the shores of a huge body of water, and it was very dark at night, but in the sky was this beautiful big white moon. And she said, I stood there looked, admiring that, and all of a sudden, my goodness, it fell. It disappeared. And she said, I, she was so shaken by that, she said out loud, what does that mean? And this person, some being beside her, said, it's the end of the world. And then the water started coming towards her back and forth, and then it completely enveloped her. And she woke up, of course, at a, a cold <laughs> sweat. She did not know what that meant. But we found out afterwards the meaning of that dream. And the dream is that the moon stands for the, the, the various face of the world. And that it would be the time of a new union of all the religions. And then that the water coming up and completely enveloping her, that's the knowledge. She was enveloped. How did you find out about this meaning? Well, it's in the faith, in the Baha'i faith. It talks about water being knowledge, mm-hmm. and moon in the Bible stands for religion. It was your mother who had the dream? Yes, my mother had the dream. And so she, she figured it out herself? No, not until later. Um, of course, after we became Baha'is, yes. But once she read the Baha'i writings about the symbology of the moon being uh, religion and water being knowledge, she put two, two and two together about this dream? Yes. So to say I have been, been a Baha'i since 19, about 1941. Mm-hmm. It's a long time. <laughs> you know, to say I've had to cha- uh, an opportunity to see how everything that was predict- predicted in the faith how it has come about and has intensified. That is the thing that's remarkable. Say I feel very happy to have this knowledge because I, I understand the reason for the world's problems today and where, where it's leading us, which is really wonderful to the unity of all peoples and all nations. Right. So what are some of these predictions that you've seen become fulfilled? I was alive, of course, when The Guardian was alive. Now, who's The Guardian? It's Shoki Effendi. He was the descendant of the Baha'u'llah and Abdu'l-Baha. He was the grandson. And Abdu'l-Baha is who? And Abdu'l-Baha was the son of the founder of the faith. Abdu'l-Baha was called the mystery of God. Mm-hmm. And his purpose was to uh, demonstrate how to live this, this wonderful world-embracing idea, concept. So you're mentioning Shoghi Effendi. Effendi, all right. He came and he, he was the, each of these beings that came, Allah brought the huge plan. Abdu'l-Baha put it into practice and Shoghi Effendi just went on and was to build the administrative order. What is the administrative order? The administrative order is a very wonderful vehicle because it is the connection between the spiritual and the practical. So we got to put these things into practice in our lives to bring about world peace amongst all the peoples and nations of the world. And there is no clergy. Now, at this time, we are able to become educated, everyone, and we no longer need clergy because we have the ability to understand these wonderful teachings and also the teachings of all the other faiths, too. 
as I say, it is all embracing, uh, and I watched it step by step. The administrative order meant that it's the kind of a government that we have that will bring into this, will bring this way of living amongst of all people in harmony and peace. That's the purpose of the Baha'i faith, is to create this world community of harmony and peace. So why don't we go back to your story? So during your childhood, I guess, you had been developing your piano playing right. skills. And were you performing as you were growing up? Yes. Uh-huh. I gave my first public concert when it was um, about, about 10. Mm-hmm. And when I was 12, I played with an orchestra. Young, it was an orchestra in Sacramento that was put together. It was called WPA. And it, was, it had some remarkably fine musicians who couldn't make a living. So they came together with this dynamic uh, young conductor, and it was I that was asked to perform uh, the farewell concert. And then after that, well, I came to San Francisco and uh, played many times, certainly for Baha'i meetings. I was on deck for everything, you might say. But also, uh, outside of that, I have played with the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra as the guest soloist. And how did the conductor find you? this 12-year-old, to play for the orchestra? Through my teacher, who was very active in the community, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where we lived in Sacramento. So, and, and she was well-known and well-respected, and I was one of her star pupils. So that's how it came about. Uh, so I also went overseas on a tour, concert tour. I was a, kind of a, a goodwill ambassador for the United States government. I went to um, the Philippines. I played there, various places, universities. I played all over Japan, and, um, and I have five children on top of it. Say that again? <laughs> I have five children. Ah, okay. Yeah. During all this business with my music, it was a busy time. <laughs> yeah. so, so what years was this when you were traveling through the Philippines and Japan? 1956 and 57. Mm-hmm. And since you had discovered the Baha'i faith, were you able to make contact with Baha'is? Yes, all and, over. Mm-hmm. Everywhere I went. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was exciting. I had the opportunity of meeting a wonderful hand, uh, hand of the cause, Agnes Alexander. She came to a concert of mine. Yeah, so what's a hand of the cause? A hand of the cause is a very special person. It's chosen because of their tremendous dedication to the faith and ability. Just, I mean, to give their whole lives to bringing about this oneness, mm-hmm. putting these teachings into practice, mm-hmm. spreading them. And what was special about Agnes Alexander? That you knew. Well, she was uh, alone. She was a, a, a single lady, and really, I don't know really what she did for a living. I know that she lived very, very simply and visited where she lived, but she had some kind of charisma, or some way that she was sustained. It was really amazing. I felt a great honor that she came. So you toured for two years. Is that what you're saying? No, I didn't tour. I for about six months. And then what did you do when you got back? Uh, well, I auditioned when I was seven months pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> what did you audition for? I played for the San Francisco, for the San Francisco Symphony. With mm-hmm. uh, Arthur Fiedler, who was a famous conductor from the Boston Symphony, right. he used to come out to San Francisco every year and have these wonderful summer concerts. So it's one of the on a, one of those programs. And actually, when I, I was seven months pregnant, and uh, I thought, oh boy, <laughs> I don't know if I have a chance or not. And as I walked down the aisle. The, one of the critics said, Mrs. Robert Chuck, would you be ready to play in, uh, in, in August? I said, yes. 
I did it with four children before. I can do it with another one. (laughs) (laughs) I had a wonderful mother and father who really helped me a great deal in taking care of the children during my absence and then work. How long did you play with the San Francisco Orchestra? I, this is a, this is a guest appearance. I, I wasn't see. a regular oh, employee. Okay, all right. Uh, I played, uh, as I say, mm-hmm. uh, for, as a guest soloist mm-hmm. for the for that particular concert. And what did you do after that? After that, well, you know, I played again with a local symphony here, and then I, I being to get very tired. I tell you, uh, my husband and I were separated, and this was a great hardship because uh, I had to. Uh, uh, I was not able to do some of these things that I had done before. So I um, devoted myself now to, to teaching the piano mm-hmm. and also kind of dropping little hints about the faith. <laughs> when was the last time you performed? Oh, let's see. When was it? Well, you know, I am 87. And so I um, I stopped not terribly long after the, uh, the split with my husband. Mm to sort of face up to some realities of life. Yeah. But um, I have wonderful children. I have the gift. Yes, yeah. as I said before, I have, I have done, yes, I've carried on giving, uh, uh, playing for Baha'i functions, definitely, but not lately. Now, Marilyn, do you have any recordings of your playing in your earlier years? Unfortunately, I don't. My children say, why don't you have Because I don't, we didn't do that so much then, you right. know? Today, you've got these gadgets you're carrying in your hand. <laughs> That's right. Sit <laughs> on and play. <laughs> Do you have any other stories you want to share? Oh, I met a very wonderful lady in the Philippines. Well, several sisters, as a matter of fact. Mrs. Gomez was quite well-to-do and was very active in the faith there. And her sister was a remarkable lady, too. She, during the, Jap- the war over there, she was so brave, she went out and threw candy to the, you know, the, the death march of Bataan. She was out there, you know, trying to, to actually distract the Japanese soldiers so that the women around her could scatter things on the ground for them to eat. And she was very brave. That was a very dangerous thing to do. Yeah. Remarkable lady. My youngest daughter was named after her, Michelle Mapa. <laughs> Robert Jack, yeah. I don't know what else to say. I've had this long history with the faith, and as I said, I've had an opportunity to see how it's progressed. You know, the politics today are not very good. <laughs> but we, we have a way of functioning. It would be based upon honesty, absolute honesty, and truthfulness, trustworthiness. This is the type of thing that's got to come into being in order to, sort, to save or to change the world so we can have this peace. We're going to have to develop these things amongst our, our characteristics. This has got to take over. Truthfulness, number one. And, of course, they have all the attributes, as many as we can get. So this is a means, a practical means, applying this to a, a community. It's not just that you go to church and that's it. You work in, in these uh, administrative capacities to serve mankind, to take care of all their needs. There shouldn't be great people starving together. That some people not educated. The whole world. One of the wonderful education. Uh, I mean, one of the principles in the faith is universal compulsory education. That would mean everybody in the world would be given an opportunity to develop their talents and abilities to stand on their own feet. Well, as a matter of fact, 
United Nations is really a Baha'i idea. They're working at it, and they're still in the very early uh, young stage. But it is much better than grabbing, and I mean, now they do have an opportunity to talk together. And they have to learn eventually to do it with the idea of the good of humanity and not just of our business needs. We need to develop a concern for every human being on this planet. It would be a practical approach to accomplishing those ideas. So you mentioned this administrative order a couple of times, and you mentioned the Universal House of Justice, and you mentioned it as they. What, who's comprised of the Universal House of Justice? Well, that's interesting. We do it through election. When you make a decision, you do not electioneer, pay millions of dollars to win, and then use all kinds of just terrible things about each other. We are opposite to that. It's done in secret. You own, it's with prayer and guidance, mm-hmm. a completely different attitude than the, the politics of today. It mm-hmm. is a kind of a politics, but it is not, you cannot buy your way into this. You earn it through your life actions. It is truly a remarkable thing because we can put it into practice in our everyday lives. All the businesses can be conducted in such a way that we would all benefit and want to serve. So as I say, it's a different outlook a different conscience through enough suffering in this world, we may be brought to our knees and say, you know what, it's time for us to start getting together. So Marilyn, can you give me another difference in outlook that you think is distinctive of the Baha'i faith? Well, selflessness, making effort to help everybody. Everybody is concerned about everybody. It's not just me, what I can do for me, my ego, my reputation. This is not important. Our reputation should be based upon all these attributes, complete honesty, respect, good manners. Name them. Those are the things we should strive to do. And all this other business is causing death and terrible things in the world today, hatreds. And we do it by, through, of course, through daily prayer, my mother was from the Deep South and very prejudiced against the black race. As a matter of fact, when she and my father went to the show many years ago, and in those days you were ushered into a seat by an usher with a flashlight. So it was dark. We sat down, and when my mother's eyes became adjusted to the dark, she looked and there was a lady, a black person next to her. And she said out loud, look what we're sitting next to. And she said, let's move to my father which they did. Well, after becoming a Baha'i, that was completely demolished. She was not that way at all. So it's capable, truly, of changing the heart, hearts of people, making dramatic changes in these really essential principles that are necessary for us to come together as one family. So, Marilyn, as a Baha'i, what do you strive to do on a daily basis to meet the goals that the Baha'i faith is trying to to achieve? Well, we're told we should read morning and evening from the writings because that's what gives us the instructions what to do. And also, very important, gossip is about the worst thing in the Baha'i faith, backbiting. It is so terrible. And this is something we all have to work for, these types of things, and that involves myself and serving others by doing this, 
and developing your talents. Everyone has a wonderful talent that can be used to serve the world. You know, that is our goal to be an example for others. And that's not the type. Uh, look at me. I'm look at me. I'm so great. It's the opposite. It's humility. Absolutely humility. And look at yourself. And if if you look at each of us, we say, you know, we look at each other, so we see a good quality. That's what we should stress. We should encourage. We should compliment. We forget the other things. You just mind your own business and do what you're supposed to do. And so I say, the idea is to emphasize the, the, the positive in each of us. When none of us are perfect. We need to help each other that way. This is a deity thing that we have to keep in our minds every instant that we're alive is to be careful. Don't do these things to each other. Because mm-hmm. how are we going to get this world healed up? It's like sort of like a parent in a town. Marta Rafinas, Marilyn's daughter, had been in the background helping her mother through this interview. Marta finally felt she had to say something about her mother. So here is Marta Rafinas talking about her mother, Marilyn Robicek. Sometimes in her life, um, when people couldn't afford piano lessons, she would give free lessons. She felt very strongly about classical music being a ladder for the soul, as it talks about in the Baha'i Faith. So she would give the children free lessons. And I have a story about that, Warren. I don't know. Yeah, please, please. Go ahead. Okay. When I went to college, I had an instructor. Uh, uh, it was a junior college here in San Mateo. He was an African-American and it was an ethics class, but it was very anti-white. And I was so affected. He asked about if anybody had been affected by things. And I said, well, I was raised a Baha'i, and we don't have prejudice in our, you know, in our family. We had people of all races and colors coming through our house from everywhere in the world. And he said, that's impossible. Well, 20 years later, literally, my mother was teaching his children piano. And at one point... Their family couldn't afford to pay, and my mother said that's okay. She felt it was important to teach the children classical music. Uh, she feels classical music is, is really important. <laughs> we were very much raised with that and nothing else. So the funny thing is, is this man, his whole attitude changed. At school, he, was, he had changed his focus into unity. He talked about unity, and I thought that was incredible, and I thought... What a coincidence that this was a man who I almost quit school because of, because it hurt me so much to think that there were such barriers between, you know, the, the races at that point, too. And that at, later in life, here he is having his children take lessons from my mother, and she didn't charge them until they were able to, to afford it. And my mother, that's her life. Livelihood is, is teaching, so it was a hardship for her, too. But she thought it was so important, and it really affected this man. So I just thought that was an incredible story, that too, is. of turnaround, you know, yeah, so, and how story. music can affect people. Another story, too, is a, a family she had teaching. The mother is from Pakistan. The father is from Ethiopia. And the mother was Muslim, and the father was Coptic. And the children were going to a Catholic school. And they came home one day and told their mother that she should convert because she was going to go to hell because she was Muslim. And my mother was teaching her three children, and she mentioned this to my mother, and my mother suggested the children go to a Baha'i school class that was going on in San Mateo at the time. 
So she brought the children to the Baha'i children's class, and the oldest daughter just fell in love with the faith, so much so that in 1992, the Baha'is held a World Congress, uh, a Second World Congress in New York City, which was a coming together of all the nations in the world. I think there were over 210 nations represented there at the World Congress, and it was about 30-something thousand people there from all over the world. And when she came back, this young girl, she was, I think, 15 at the time. She wanted to declare herself as a Baha'i. And even though my mother had spoken with with their mother about the Baha'i faith for many years, (laughs) um, that they'd been taking piano, the mother said she kind of let it go over her head. But when her daughter wanted to declare, she decided, I better check into this. You know, I better find out what this religion is all about. Well, she did, and the whole family became Baha'is. <laughs> and now this the oldest daughter is married to the son of a member of the Universal House of Justice. So it's a, quite an amazing story, too, of that transformation, you know, of going, having that they now have family unity, so in their family with religion. So mm-hmm. um, it's pretty remarkable. But those are some things that happened from music because it was because of the children coming for lessons that they heard of the faith. My mom has a lot of stories. I think she's forgotten some of them, and I'm mm-hmm. trying to think back about some. But I, I also wanted to say that the, the thing with the uh, symphony, with the uh, San Francisco symphony, is that my mother was seven months pregnant. She said when she auditioned, and, they, and she thought she could hide it by wearing a larger dress. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why it's so funny, because as she was walking out, you know, the critic asked her, could you be ready by August? Well, my sister, my youngest sister, was born in May, and my mother forgot all about the concert until July and had to really scramble, having a brand-new baby, to play with Arthur Fiedler, who was quite a famous conductor. And she, she was compared in her a critic's review of her to a, a female Rachmaninoff. She was an amazing, amazing pianist, and I, I just am so sad that we never had any recordings because we, as children, you know, grew up hearing music from the moment we woke up to late in the night when she was practicing for these concerts. So, you know, she was very dedicated to it. I will say, too, when my father and she were married, when they were first married, my father was attending Yale, and they had a little radio program that they did about music, and my father would talk about music, and my mother would play. <laughs> uh-huh. She also has connections to East Coast also. I know you're back East. She was back there for a little while while my father was attending Yale, and then they moved back out here when a couple of us were born back there. So, yeah. Well, great. Well, Marta, thank you so much. Why don't we put Marilyn, your mom, back on, and thank okay. you so much. Thank that, you I, really... I didn't mean to interrupt. But no, I no, to... I'm really glad that you shared those stories. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Because of my age, I'm not quite what I used to be. <laughs> not a problem, Marilyn. here. <laughs> well, I just like to say that I really think that people should investigate. It's up to everybody to make a decision. But and if you hear something that sounds pretty good, I think it's a wise idea to just take a little peek and see what it's all about. But I hope that we will all get together and have this harmony and peace in the world. Thank you, Warren. Marilyn, thank you so much for sharing your story. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Marilyn Robichek, a concert pianist who devoted her life to exemplifying the Baha'i teachings. 
For a copy of this and other interviews, you can go to the website www.abahaiperspective.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective.
had he not deserved But he chose to sacrifice Like drawn to a flame This loyal mob Guards his name Guards his name Like drawn to a flame This loyal mob Guards his name God's his name God's his name God's his I'm talking about goodness I'm talking about business I'm talking 
With two wings, we can soar through the air. With two wings, we can go most anywhere. With two wings, we can sail through the sky. With two wings, we can fly. With two wings, we can soar through the air. With two wings, we can go most anywhere. With two wings, we can sail through the sky. With two All I can do is flutter I'm only one wing I need the other For the dove of peace to fly We'll fly with two wings We can soar through the air With two wings We can go most anywhere With two wings We can sail through the sky With two wings We can fly With two wings We can soar through the air Been a lot of things that I'm holding in my chest. I hear a lot of people saying life is a test, but I confess I feel hopeless and I feel a lot of pain. I hear a lot of words that are spoken in vain, but I'm not the same as the rest. So a voice from within speaks out to say, You can't take my heart or take my soul and try as you may. I will not be controlled. It's been too long that I have not known the power that rests in the pen that I hold. Uh, and no, I'm not a toy. No, I'm not a puppet. No, I'm not a soldier. That you can deploy I am but a word Love That means that I'm tough And I can't be destroyed What? I ain't gonna take These lies I don't wanna play 
a mess Full of economic and political unrest They're playing with the lives like a game of chess Now they got us all feeling neurotic and stressed uh, The world is in misery, the people are lost Obsessed with themselves, fighting for what victory Cause the battle is within, so solve the mystery Yeah, you know you can't take my soul And try as you may, I will not be controlled It's been too long that I have not known The power that rests in the pen that I hold uh, And no, I'm not a toy, no, I'm not a puppet No, I'm not a soldier that you can deploy I am but a word, love, that means that I'm tough And I can't be destroyed, what? Let them win No, I will never give in It don't matter if it's cold or it's hot I'ma stand in this spot Cause it's time to begin Begin a new search in the hopes that I find And take back this life that is mine Cause I don't wanna waste no more time I gotta spread the fuse Reflect the words divine Yeah
This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.